Well, praise God. Turn in your Bible to Song of Solomon, chapter 5. We're going to talk about Christ, who is altogether lovely. And before we jump into that, I just want to say it has been an honor to know your pastors, Jeffrey and Julie. They are special to us. We've asked them to step in our lives as guides, and they have accepted, and we are happy about that. Um, my wife is here with me today. Babe, can you just... <laughs> she is she is most precious earthly thing to me. And my children, uh, Madison and Leah, are here with me as well. <laughs> joys of life they are, joys of life. Praise God. Uh, I also want to tell you before we start, too, that on Tuesday nights at 7 p.m., I meet on Zoom with a bunch of people, and it's been absolutely incredible. The presence of the Lord has been so rich. It's a time of Q&A. We look at the scriptures together, sit in silence before the Lord together. It has been awesome. It's called the Adoration Mentoring International, and it's just, it's just been a highlight in my life, and I want to invite you, if you want to come and be a part of it, you can be a part one Tuesday a month, or three, or, or four. It's up to you, but uh, check it out. I think you'd really enjoy it. It's been great. So let me pray. Father, you know that I am nothing more than a billion needs for you. And all of these words, they belong to you. And because you live, so they do. Speak to us, Lord. Speak to us, Lord. With that transformative power that only your word has, we worship you. We praise you. Just right there, just put your hand on your heart. Just say this with me. Say, Jesus, I turn my attention to you. I recognize your presence. Praise you. And I ask you, help me love you. Amen. Amen. So Song of Solomon chapter 5, we're going to look at verse 16. This is such a special text to me. And I'm praying that this morning the Spirit would make this word worship. That it wouldn't just be preaching, it would be preaching worship of Christ. I'm going to talk about Jesus who is altogether lovely, but even if I had an angel's tongue, I couldn't give the proper color to Christ. All the words that a man can say are mere shadows compared to the resplendence of what Jesus actually is. He is transcendently lovely, transcendent above intellect, above heart, even above what we're able to grasp in the spirit. He is beyond the heavens. The scripture says his throne is set above the heavens. In other words, all the wonderful things in the heavens are still below him. The scripture says that, that in Psalm 145, he humbles himself to look upon the heavens. That's how much higher he is than the heavens. And if we saw one piece of the heavens, we would fall on our faces because it is so beyond anything we've ever seen here in this small world. He is above it so high that he humbles himself to even give attention to the heavens. But he's, he's got such a kind heart, he doesn't just look down at the heavens, he looks down at the earth. But not only does he look down at the earth, he looks down into the lowly hearts of the earth. This is his wonderful way. Him who is so high, the highest, goes the lowest. 
This is Jesus. Scraping the highest heavens and scraping the lowest earth. He's the highest there is and he goes the lowest that can go. This is Jesus. So we're going to look at him who is altogether lovely. In Zephaniah, there's an incredible description of him. It says his face is like sunlight. You know, if you look at the sun too long, you go blind. <laughs> his face is brighter than the sun. The scripture says right there in the same book of the Bible, not only is his face like sunlight, but out of his palms comes light rays. That's pretty incredible. I don't know what it means, but it's pretty awesome. The scripture says there that he has a glittering spear and he has arrows of light with which he slays his enemies. This is a kind of being beyond comprehension, Jesus the Christ. We look at him and we say to ourselves, what is his voice if his glance is lightning? I'll tell you what his voice is. His voice, according to Song of Solomon chapter 5, verse 16, it says his mouth is full of sweetness and he is wholly desirable. We'll stop right there. The King James Version is even better. It says his voice is full of sweetness and he is altogether lovely. His words are steeped in honey. His words are so sweet that they impart life to the soul. You know, men have died trying to find the fountain of youth so that they could extend their lives a little bit longer. And all the while, they're so blind as to walk past him whose words give eternal life. Men are so blind to the beauty of Jesus Christ, that's why they don't desire him. As a matter of fact, they treated him like a criminal, but what did he take from men but their sins? Men can't see the beauty of Jesus Christ. When we say his mouth is full of sweetness, we mean all that his mouth is, which means his words are sweet. It means his breath is sweet. And it means his kiss is sweet. His mouth is full of sweetness. There is nothing in his mouth that is not sweet. As Samuel Rutherford wrote, even his crosses are sugared with the sweetness of his person. There is nothing in his mouth that is not sweet. His words are so sweet, they give sight to the blind. You taste, you see. If you taste these words that come from him who's altogether lovely, you shall see with eternal sight. In other words, he will implant into you the ability to perceive God by the sweetness of his words. There are no words like these words. To receive from his mouth, his words causes the blind heart to see. And not only this, but his breath is the breath of his spirit, the sweet spirit that comes forth from his mouth causes the heart to be alive. He gives, in, he gives life by the sweetness of his breath and his kiss, the application of his love to the human heart. There's nothing like it. Nothing can be compared to the kisses of God. As Richard Raleigh wrote, his kiss can cure my evil and bring me to his bliss and give me him for whom I sigh, Jesus, my sweetness. <laughs> oh, his mouth is full of sweetness and he is wholly desirable. Thomas Watson said his kiss is so sweet it makes even death sweet to a believer. The words altogether lovely are incredible. You think of altogether, it's everything included, all that he is. When you say altogether, you mean wholly, completely, entirely. He is 
holy and completely and entirely everything about him is lovely. You say, what does lovely mean? Lovely means able to excite love, able to excite desire. He is everything about him causes you to love him. To perceive any aspect of his person causes the heart to fall in love with him. Which brings us to this conclusion. If men don't desire him, it's simply because their vision is dim. It's because their gaze is deviated. See, Christ does not lack beauty. Men lack eyes. Jesus is beautiful. And to perceive him wins the heart. As St. Augustine said, he stole my heart and ran away to heaven with it just to see Jesus as he is. One theologian says that this phrase, altogether lovely, could be translated, he is made up of all loves and delights. He is all that excites desire. Today, I just want to talk to you and encourage a looking at Jesus because it's how our faith begins and how our faith is sustained all the way to completion. Looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith. I pray God open our eyes today to see the loveliness of Jesus in such a way that we'll be unwilling to look away. Unwilling to look away because of how beautiful he is. To see him and what he has done even on the cross drops of love blood for you. I wrote this poem down. Blood dripping from the tree is for man a symphony in the ears of God that men can see stunning love. How can it be? He is altogether lovely. To see him as he is wins the heart. To say that he's altogether lovely means that he is all virtues, all goodness, everything we know to be good, he is all of that and more. He's beyond that. See, the excellencies of Jesus are a wealth of thought and feeling. You can meditate upon the excellencies of the man Christ Jesus endlessly and continually receive the ability to feel through it, to think about who Jesus is and what he has done. You think about what God is in and of himself. You think about what he's like. Then you think about what he's done. Then you think about how that is continually affecting your life. You put all those things together and you cannot help but worship. As a matter of fact, all those things that I just said can be summed up in a phrase, the name of the Lord. When you say the name of the Lord, when you say like Moses says, show me your glory and God proclaims his name to him and Moses falls on his face, it's a revelation of what God is and what he is like and what he has done and how that affects your being. To keep these things in your mind will keep your heart in love with Jesus because you set before yourself the beauty of the one who is altogether lovely. You say, Eric, what does it mean, what God is? Listen, let me just remind us today what God is. The scripture tells us that all things are his servants. The scripture tells us he does all things after the counsel of his own will. The scripture tells us that he sits in the heavens and does whatever he pleases. Could it be that every raindrop hits its appointed target? The scripture says that he guides the bear with her cubs. The scripture says that he makes lightning for the rain. The scripture tells us that he makes the grass to grow and he feeds all the cows. This is who we're talking about. We're talking about the one who never began and never ends. This is God Almighty. Yet, we understand what he's like when he shows us his character and nature. The Lord is gracious and compassionate, slow to anger and rich in love. Compassionate means he's drawn towards weakness. 
One of our friends likes to say, the things about you that make you cringe most make him hug tightest. He's compassionate. Even the name of Jesus means Savior. He, he looks to rush in and deliver you. This is how he is. He's gracious. He's compassionate. So then you see it most perfectly displayed on that tree. Jesus dying in your stead. To think of what that splendid spectacle is. God Almighty restricted inside of a human body by choice subjecting himself to his own creation to beat him and torture him to death, suffocating and bleeding out love blood for you on that cross, saying, forgive them, they do not know what they're doing. To think on that itself displays God's love that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. To think upon that should cause the soul, should strike a fountain of love on the inside that you can drink from the streams of that flowing fountain for the rest of your life. It's an endless meditation to think of what God is, what he has done, and how that's been displayed in nakedness before you and before me. Men strip Christ, God clothes Christ with glory. Praise God. To think upon this. And then you grab a hold of what that means for your life. He delivers you from sin. He brings you into fellowship with God. He continually blesses you with bounty. He is literally always guiding and having mercy and being patient with you throughout your whole life. Is anybody else in here able to recognize that God's patience with you is embarrassing? You put all these things together and you have the loveliness of Jesus. That thing which is able to excite love in his very person, Jesus the Christ, who is in every way altogether lovely. So I look at these things and I think of Psalm, or sorry, Isaiah 42. The scripture says that he delights the heart of God. Listen, if he can delight God's heart, you better believe he can ravish a human soul. When I look at Paul making a decision to know nothing among men except Jesus, the Savior, Christ, prophet, priest, and king, and him crucified, what he's done. He says, I don't, I determined to know, I'm not even interested in anything else but this. He's a Savior for me. He is the prophet for me. He's a priest for me. He's my king, and he died for me. That's enough for me. That's beautiful, and that causes the heart to recognize the radiant sun of righteousness see the sun in the sky rises and falls on your skin but the sun of righteousness shines forever within inside of you he lights the inside john tells us that christ's words bring fullness of joy to receive christ's words is to receive fullness literally a heaven below this great gospel is a field and the treasure in that field is the man Christ Jesus with which a man when he sees him will literally sell all he has it's just this recognition of the resplendence of Jesus think about this in the world to come the heaven of heavens in that world the whole world will be lit by what's called the lamb lamp think about this the lamb 
lamb. What is the lamb? The lamb is God subjecting himself to be tortured in your place. In my place condemned he stood. The lamb, that lamb is the radiance of the world to come. In other words, not only will you see him, but by him you will see and the world to come, the whole world to come, is lit up with the Lamb's radiance. The gospel will never be forgotten. The blood of God will never be forgotten. It will be our center song for the rest of eternity. Worthy is the Lamb that was slain for me. That's how grand of an act this cross is. It will be sung of forever. Central theme song of the ages is what Jesus Christ has done. We will sing, he is altogether lovely, most perfectly seen in the blood dripping from the tree that is for man a symphony in the ears of God that men can see. Praise God. So we look at these things and we see how easy it is to love Jesus because he wins the heart. What I'm trying to say is if you get him, you get all. You miss him, you miss all. There are so many other things people are putting their eyes on, and I want to just encourage you, there isn't anything that is worthy of your attention like Jesus. I, I, I reached you, clear all the rooms of your heart for Christ, because no better guest can come than Christ. See, you could be the richest man. You could be the wisest man. You could be the greatest man, but without Christ, you still live in an inescapable darkness. Christ alone is light. I ask you, who is it that you love in your life? They may be so precious to you, but I'll tell you this, their faces don't shine with shadowless radiance. Jesus does. I ask you, what is it in your life that you want? No matter its carrot, it's a diamondless ring. Jesus alone is the center stone of heaven. I ask you, what is it in your heart and in your life that has your attention? Whatever it is, it isn't the smokeless flame of Christ who burns forevermore the all-consuming fire. I say these things to say nothing compares to Christ. Praise God for wonderful things that he gives us, certain people. Oh, these are wonderful gifts, but they all pale in comparison to him who is altogether lovely. And may we see it fresh today. He, he literally excites love by every sight of him. Each time we see him, he causes us to fall in love with him. We lack love when we lack looking. He who loves much looks much. And he who looks much loves much. I just want to encourage us today to see Christ high exalted, lofty, beautiful, and resplendent with glory. That's what I want to point us at today. So if we lack desire, that paramount desire, that literal soul pining and craving, like St. Teresa of Avila said, my soul suffers out of desire for you. If we lack that longing for him, it is simply because of a deviated gaze. Something else has the attention. Something else has veered the affection. But to see him, <laughs> to see him is to love him rightly. The people who have lack of desire for Christ are simply ignorant of his beauty. It's just like a, a blind man does not delight in, the, in a rainbow. 
You can open up a treasure chest of platinum bars and he doesn't even know because he can't see it. And so it is with men who have no sight of Christ. He, may, he is the most lovely thing, but they have no enticement to him because they just can't see him. Just like a deaf man doesn't rejoice with music. And a deaf soul does not rejoice in the music of Christ's voice because they can't hear it. I just say to you, awaken eyes, awaken ears. See and hear him who is heaven's most dear. May we see Christ today in a fresh way. Somebody may say here, I know of Christ, I've read of Christ, I've learned of Christ. But I want to ask you, do you feel the burn of his love on the inside of your heart? Because if you don't, then your knowledge is just like the moon, all light and no heat. That's the essence of religion, all light, no heat. But what God desires is to light you ablaze with the flame and feeling of his exciting love that comes through seeing him as he in fact is. Praise God. I pray you remove every, blind, every blinder from our eyes that we may see him right. Even the, even the wonderful joys that we have in this life, are, they're, they're muted without Christ at the center of them. It's Christ who gives liveliness to everything. Now, this next statement, I want you to listen closely because I'm saying this next statement, it is very true, but it will bring things into perspective and show us how lovely Jesus actually is to God. Jesus is so lovely to God and so lovely for man that to refuse to look at him is to die in your sins. To refuse to look at him is to be unforgiven. To, re to refuse to look at Christ, to live a life looking unto Jesus, is to be cast away from him forever. That's how beautiful he is to God. It's like, Jesus, it's like he says, I'm going to show you the most beautiful thing in heaven. If you look at it, you will be saved. If you refuse to look at him, you will be cast away from me forever. That's how precious Jesus is to God. That's the most important thing in life, is giving Jesus that kind of attention. See, what thrills the soul isn't just saying that Jesus is altogether lovely, but being able to say that he is mine. The beloved says this, the love says this, she goes, uh, he is my, I am his and he is mine. She's able to say he is mine because she's able to say I am his. When we give ourselves to him, we receive him in exchange. Some of us are f afraid to give up things to God because we don't know if he'll fill that void that we will then have. I promise you, he will not only fill the void, he'll fill the void with himself, which will be far greater than ever having had that thing forever. I just reached to you today and I want to call our attention to this reality that with one hand we give ourselves up to God and with the other hand we receive God. That's the essence of a satisfied life. An unsatisfied life lies too often in the unsurrendered will. And the unsurrendered will comes from somewhere. It comes from not seeing how precious, trustworthy, and lovely Jesus Christ really is. Let's look at Jesus today. So, Thomas Watson wrote, clear your interests. He says, renounce your own beauty, all your own abilities, and all other things, and give your whole being to him whose character is not one star, but the whole constellation of the sky. 
clear your interests, clear the stage, set the sound and lights ablaze if that's the measure you must take to have revival. <laughs> it's that internal clearing, Lord, you deserve all of my attention. You deserve all of my affection. So I'm saying all these things to bring us to three main conclusions. And these three main conclusions are, number one, that we would abandon all other pursuits and eclipsing desires and say with Hosea, what do these things have to do with me? I read a quote from Madame Guyon today. She said, how can I desire if he has given me himself as all things? <laughs> he shuts down all other desires by giving yourself himself to you as fullness of satisfaction. I'm just reaching to us today to look so high to Christ and abandon everything else. See, to abandon everything else is to recognize that oceans of the world aren't worth a thimble of Christ. That's how much more valuable he is. It's like if you had 50 sheets of paper, but one gold ounce, which one are you gonna pick? <laughs> this one man, Christ Jesus, so outweighs in value all the things you could collect of the world all the things you could have go right in your life you could put them all over here put them next to the one ounce of christ and it will always tip the scales jesus wins because he is god's son so we give no attention to evaporating lower beauties lesser lovers because to entertain sin is to invite sorrow as thomas watson said that to to sin is to raise a tempest of sorrow in the soul. I reach to you today to give up poison for the living water. I reach to you today to give up mold for the bread of life. I reach to you today to spit on the table of devils and dine at the descending table out of heaven. Jesus Christ himself. To recognize what he actually is in all of his glorious union. And power for us. Number two, not just to abandon everything else, but to let communion with him be your highest desire, your most, uh, your world of love. May communion with him be the salivation of every day. You're literally going to him, longing for him every day because you see what he is, what he's like, what he's done, and what he continually does in you. That your love for him would cause inside of you like a craving of lovebirds who look for the cleft of the rock to be alone. Lovers love to be alone. They instinctively seek retreat. I pray that your sight of Christ will cause such a love for you, for him in you, that you will long to be alone with him. Even as it was written by Charles Spurgeon, he says, we miss a thousand joys by lack of communion with God. Robert Murray McShane said, an hour with God is worth a lifetime with any man. David Brainerd wrote in his journal, an hour with God infinitely excels all the pleasures and delights of this lower world. Samuel Rutherford said, lighten your heart by leaning on him. Matthew Henry tells us the same thing. He says, we should occupy ourselves, entertain ourselves day by day with the, with the contemplation of the beauty of Jesus. I wonder what these guys are talking about. I think they're talking about Christ who is altogether lovely and has ravished their hearts, ravished their souls. So the last point is this, that we would tell others of his marrow and fatness. The sweet, satisfying, succulent person 
that he is that literally thrills the soul, the brain, the blood, the whole being is thrilled by this Christ. That we would tell others, like John the Baptist, behold the Lamb of God. This is what made John the Baptist the greatest among women, born of women, <laughs> is that he pointed to Christ, not his austere life, not his eating locusts, not his living in the desert. What separated him and made him different than everybody else is he looked at the lamb and called everyone else to do the same. He sent all his disciples to him. He literally pushed everything towards Jesus. That's the greatest thing we can do with our lives. Look at the lamb and then call everyone else to do the same. So I'm just reaching to you today because I know that I preach this sermon to myself constantly. Remember how lovely Jesus is. It's the key to being able to stay in that place of enjoyment of God. I pray we would lift up our heads, O ye gates. Be lifted up, O ancient doors, and let the King of glory come in. And reign on the throne of your heart, unchallenged. Without competition, may Jesus reign in our hearts and in our lives. The beauties of, that we know in this world, the closer you get to them, the more flaws you can see. Something may look so great from far away, the closer you get to it, the more flaws you see. Something may be so sweet in life, but the longer you have that thing, the less sweet it becomes. It's just the nature of life. But with Jesus, it's not this way. The closer you get to him, the more perfect you see him to be. And the more sweet he is, the, our, the more time goes on, the sweeter and sweeter as the day goes by, Jesus is. He just increases love on the inside. He is deity in a body. He literally is first among all. There is a, a recognition of certain values in life. For instance, bread has a value, raiment or clothes has a value, medicine has a value, water has a value, and all these things are great, but none of their values cross into each other. In other words, bread is not water, medicine is not clothing. And many things are like this, good for something, but Jesus is good for everything. In other words, he is bread for the hungry and also drink for the thirsty. He is also clothing for the naked and he is medicine or physician to the sick. I just came today to preach and lift up Jesus Christ, to motivate us, to inspire us, to look at him as what he is that we might abandon everything else, let communion with God be number one, and then call everyone else to see the same. Call everyone else to desire him. And I'll close out with this statement. Before I say this statement, I'll say this. To see him rightly, to see him rightly is to love him supremely. You wouldn't have to be persuaded to delight and commune with him or even have zeal for him. To see him rightly will cause all of these things. And the last statement I have is from John Owen, and I think it's just, I think it's just brilliant. It puts everything in perspective with recognition of our life situation here on the earth. The statement is this, if Christ is not heaven for you now, he shall not be hereafter. Here's another one, very clear. If you don't enjoy looking at Jesus now, you will not enjoy seeing him when he comes. I reach to you today. As I reach to my own self, let's look and live looking 
at the marvelous splendor, majesty, and beauty of the man, Christ Jesus, specifically seen on that tree, but also coming back with the clouds of heaven and 10,000 of his saints to rule and reign forever. Let us look upon him and cause everything else to just pale in comparison to him. Will you stand to your feet with me? Maybe you're listening to me talk about this and you say, you know, I used to look at the Lord like this. I used to see the Lord like this, but I, I don't really much anymore. Too many things have happened. Too many things have gotten in the way. Too many things have jarred my attention. I want to reach to you today to say, let's put our eyes back upon the thing that is most important, Christ himself. Maybe you're saying, I've never seen Jesus like this. I don't know this kind of beauty that you're talking about. Well, today, choose to turn and say, Lord, I want to look at you and see you for who you are, that you might steal the affections of my heart away. Maybe you're in sin, you're so bound that even the words that I'm saying to you, you're like, I don't even know what he's talking about. I, in some sense, challenge you to say, come look upon Jesus and see if you don't go blind. Father, I thank you for every person here. And I ask you, Holy Spirit, right now, just go through the place. Just go through this whole place and search every heart. Search every heart. Point out every area. Point out every distraction. Point out every lesser lover. Point out all lower beauties that have had the attention that you deserve. And I pray, Holy Spirit, you would come in even right now and begin to inspire each person to look upon the beauty and majesty of Jesus Christ. Praise you, God. Praise you.